27. Appreciate you being here this morning. And uh, give you a thought, not a lengthy one, but a uh, Bible thought that will help you if you want to grow and the Lord want to know something about Him. Genesis chapter 27. Of course, the word Genesis means beginnings. You want to know about the beginnings and origins of things, you go back to the book of Genesis and find out about those things. But in Genesis chapter 27, I'm just going to read a few verses here. Look in verse 1. You follow along silently as I read aloud. Genesis 27 verse 1, it says, It came to pass that when Isaac was old... Now, you've heard... Let me just this thing here. You've heard in the Bible you have Abraham, you have Isaac, and you have Jacob. There's a lot of teachings out there talk about great religions and they try to lump some things together that don't fit. But the... Uh, but we know Abraham. A lot of people know about Abraham. I didn't grow up around the Bible at all. Didn't know anything about the Bible. Wasn't exposed to it at all at a young age. Up until I was 15 years old. And so I uh, didn't know much about it, but I heard about Abraham. And so Isaac is Abraham's son. And you have Abraham, you have Isaac, and then you have Jacob. Later, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. The nation Israel you have now. And for all of us who are younger, I mean, uh, I know some of you young people don't think I'm young, but... Um, uh, the nation Israel didn't exist as a nation for many, many years. The old maps would say Palestinia in that area. And then uh, because of the Balfour Declaration, some things that happened in World War II, Israel was reformed as a nation. And ever since then, of course, the Arab nations have been trying to shove it back into the sea. They started immediately and have tried to. They can't. And the reason they can't is because it's the promise of God and the promises of God and the commands of God and the way God designed things will not be changed by man. And so what happens with it, the, uh, you have Abraham, then you have his son Isaac. His name meant laughter. With that, Riley, don't let get set up. I set, set up my feet up. Come on, set up like a young man in church. There you go. Uh, you look so comfortable, you're making me sleepy. Uh, the, the, uh, but you have uh, uh, Isaac. His name is laughter because uh, Abraham and Sarah had him. She was 90 years old when she had uh, Isaac, and when she was told she was going to have a baby, she couldn't have a baby at that age, she laughed about it. His name is Laughter. How'd you like to have a name like Laughter? That'd be something, wouldn't it? But uh, then uh, Jacob, of course, and later his name's changed to Israel. And uh, Jacob had a brother named Esau. And uh, Jacob and Esau are actually twins. And uh, so these, uh, these, uh, there had been some conflict there earlier. And Esau had sold his birthright as the oldest born he had the right to lead the family. There were a lot of things about his father's inheritance that would come to him. There were responsibilities he had to guide the family later in life. And he was hungry one day when he came in from hunting. And he was hungry. And uh, Isaac, was, uh, or, or, uh, uh, Isaac was in the house and was, was or Jake was Isaac. J Jacob was in the house. I got my kids mixed up here. And uh, Jake was in the house and, and there was some, they called it pottage. It'd be almost like a, almost like a chili type soup, something with a little bit of meat substance to it. And uh, Esau was so hungry, he said, give me some of that pottage. Give me some of that soup. And, and uh, Jacob said, sell me your birthright. He was talking about the inheritance of the whole family. And Je Esau sold it to him for one bowl of soup. And the Bible calls him a profane person because of that. And he can never get that back. And uh, he sold it off. A lot of people sell off their heritage, what they could have in life, for just a few moments of pleasure and whatever down the road. And so you have a conflict that has already existed between Jacob and Esau. There was already a conflict there with it. Um, and there was a, something else was made worse by their parents with this. Anthony, set up. Buddy. Hey, guys, you look like a, you look like a hedgehog over there. Um, not, I mean, not your face, but the way you were laying. <laughs> and, but but look, in, look in chapter 27 and uh, look in verse, verse 5. We're going to read all the way down through here, but look at verse 5. I'll show you part of what the problem was. Verse 5, And Rebekah heard when Isaac, Rebekah is Isaac's wife, spake to Esau, look at the next two words, his son. Esau was both their sons. But watch. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring him. Verse 6, And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son. Those are twins. Saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying... We're going to read about that in a moment. But part of the problem which already existed was made worse by parents' favoritism. 
It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Children are different, have different personalities. Some personalities blend better with the parent's personality than others. If you're a parent today of any age children, whether it be adult children, young children, whatever, um, need, to, need to be expressive of your love towards those children. You need to, you need to make sure they understand. Um, my, my mom had a great saying for it. And uh, she said to the three of us, she'd say, I, I, I love you all differently, but I love you the same. And she did mean that. Our personalities are quite a lot different than that. And she, she never, not one of us uh, youngins, and, and by the way, uh, there were times when very different paths of life were chosen. And uh, some very different things were going on in the lives between my older brother and myself. Very different path of living or a very different way of living. But my mom never made any of us to feel like you know, somehow we were better or, or the others weren't or anything like that. And so I think it was instrumental on that day when my brother accepted the Lord there in my mom's graveside service up there in the hill in Kentucky after I preached her funeral. And we were at that graveside and we, he and I were walking through the graveyard and he pointed, he said, he said, we just buried, we just buried the one person in the world I knew that loved me. Now that's, that's powerful. That's powerful with that. If you look back in chapter, of, uh, chapter 25, Look how, look how this had started early. And let's let this guide us into treating and, and, and living as we ought to. Look in verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. How basic is that? But Rebekah loved Jacob. And that's something. And there were real problems. And the problems that were there and the things that were there already that we know about were made worse by a lack of wisdom in the parents in this area. So let's go back to reading chapter 27, but uh, that I really felt like I should bring to you this morning with that. Verse 27 begin there. It says, It came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. In other words, what do you need? I'm here. Whatever it is. And he said, Behold now, I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison. He said, Go hunt a deer for me. And make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, and that my soul may bless thee before I die. And when, when Jacob conveys the blessing, it actually has a real life effect. It's not just like, I hope you have a good day, something like that. There's something that actually happens with it. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Verse 5, And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison to bring it. So he heads out looking for hunting a deer. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. And by the way, I don't even have time to talk about a wife going around behind her husband's back and all that stuff. Look in verse 8. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goat. She said, why two? Isaac's going to eat that much? No, she's going to get the very prime cuts from them. And I will make them savory meat for thy father such as he loveth. She knew how to fix it up. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. A lot of difference in that. Some of you, some of you uh, have beards and wear them well. If I tried to grow a beard, which I've never really tried to, but if I just let things go, it looks more like I have mange. I think it would take me eight months to get something like that. I was 30 years old before I ever started shaving regularly, so I'm, just, I'm not in the hairy guy category. Uh, you never, you'll never, you'll never uh, confuse me as a short Sasquatch, I promise you. And so Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. <clears throat> my father, peradventure, just a great Bible word that means maybe or perhaps, my father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, in other words, to touch his arm or something, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse. My son, only obey my voice and go f- and fetch them. And he went <clears throat> and fetched, 
and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And there's a lot more happens with it. And by the way, Jacob is deceived by it, and he keeps questioning. He's like, the voice sounds like it sounds like Jacob. But he touches him and they put goat skins on him. And he goes, wait a minute, he's hairy. And, and he's older. His eyes aren't working right. His discernment isn't good. He, he was talking. I was talking to somebody the other day and uh, they were talking about their uh, their dad. Said he was always super sharp. Oh, I don't know who it was. It was John Lynch. I, I was talking to a friend of ours. And, and uh, he said he has to watch now. He says, dad was always real sharp. Anything going on, he could catch it or if it's a scam. He said they actually caught him. Somebody had called with a phone scam about their granddaughter or somebody was in trouble and she needed them him to wire her money you know that scam that goes around somebody will call and say one well, of your relatives is in trouble and they have to wire money and he was actually going to wire the money <clears throat> and so john said it's hard now because in his age now he doesn't have dementia so but his discernment's getting very bad and he's false prey and, and uh, may there be a double curse on those who do that to elder and a uh, uh, double and a slow curse. And uh, they, and he said, don't you want mercy for him? No, nah, God probably does. I'm not that spiritual. I don't, I don't want that. Um, but, the, uh, <clears throat> but, the, <clears throat> but the thing of it is that this uh, Esau is to a, or, or Jacob is to a point where he's fooled by this. And in fact, Rebecca was so sneaky and cunning that she actually had Jacob wear some of Esau's clothing. And and apparently, Jacob's, uh, uh, or yeah, had whoever figured out. So Isaac, Isaac, there. Isaac was, uh, when, he, when he went to hug uh, uh, Esau, he thought it was Esau, it was Jacob, he actually smelled this garment and he said, you, you, you smell like the field and like, you know, he could, he could identify from that. And so he was fooled by the whole thing. And what ended up happening was, <coughs> Isaac blessed Jacob and gave him the blessing instead of Esau. And by the way, that's why Jacob had to leave the country. Esau was going to kill him. And so this turned out to be a big deal before the whole thing was over there with it. But what was going on, and what I want to show you this morning, is one particular verse. Look in verse 12. Look at what Jacob's response is to his mother. And forgive me for tangling up Isaac and Jacob and all that. Get, you know, listen to it on YouTube and figure it out. Um, but look at verse 12. He said, my father, peradventure, I told you that word means maybe, my father, peradventure, will feel me, touch him, his hand or anything, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me. Simple message this morning. I want to talk to you about Jacob's ungodly concern. Jacob's ungodly concern. What he said right there was massively ungodly. Because... Uh, he makes a statement. His mom says, we're going to fool your father. We're going to act like you are Esau. We're going to get you the blessing. He already had the birthright, but Esau gave that up. And his response, he said, wait a minute. If he touches my hand or something doesn't feel, he can tell I'm not Esau. He said, I'll seem to him as a deceiver. And I'll get a curse. Here's, here's the crux of the thing. He was not concerned with deceiving. He just did not want to be identified as a deceiver. He wasn't a bit worried about deceiving his father. That What he was didn't bother him. What bothered him was he didn't want his father to think he was a deceiver. He wasn't worried about his substance, what he actually was. He was worried about his image, what people thought. There's a saying I like. It says your reputation is what people think you are. Your character is what God knows you are. Also, you'll notice he was not appalled at the thought of deceiving his father. It did not bother them that he was getting ready to deceive, lie to his father. It did not. That's not what bothered him. What he bothered him was he thought he could be cursed over it. So he wasn't worried about doing wrong. He's worried about getting caught. See, obviously I've been at this a while, preaching and pastoring and all that. And that's why when somebody comes all repentant after they get pushed into the corner and get caught, but apparently nothing bothered them about their wrong before that ever happened. I just look at it and go, hmm. 
Because if you're actually a believer in Jesus Christ, and there's a lot of people who claim to be Christian aren't at all. But if you're actually a believer in Jesus Christ, it means that He is truth. Now, I don't know about you, but that convicts me. I am not truth. I want to do truthfully. I want to be right. That's why in the preaching, I will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. But this will go along with our perverted society. Why? Because I want to be true. But I am well aware how frail that is. And, I mean, a lot of you have got a few years on you. Have you ever come to that point in your life at time when you have that realization that you were fooling yourself about something? Yeah. That's, that's eye-opening, isn't it? That's a good thing when it happens. So he wouldn't care about deceiving his father... He didn't care about lying to his dad. What he cared about was whether or not he'd get in trouble. He didn't care about being a deceiver. He didn't want to be thought of as a deceiver. You know, it's kind of, I, I don't understand this. I don't want to understand this because I don't want my mind to work this way. But I've never understood when people do things to cheat and win in sports. Now, I tell you what, I so much do not understand about that. If you win by cheating, like there's been some of the longer races like in the Boston Marathon stuff down over the years and had a couple of three people that cut off the course and then cut back in, you know, and didn't run the whole thing and then they were found out about it. Well, if you won and you had just run, you know, you'd run three miles less than everybody else, how in the world could you get any pleasure out of I won? You didn't win and you know you didn't win. But the ungodly concern about him was that he just didn't want to seem like a deceiver. It didn't matter to him if he was a deceiver. There are a lot of Bible examples and references on that. Look back in 1 Samuel, or look forward in 1 Samuel, you're in Genesis. Go over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me show you a prime example of this thing of worrying more about image than getting right. Now, I'm going to show you one from the New Testament and blow your mind. We talk about a severe situation. 1 Samuel 15. You have King Saul here. This is the first king of Israel. And Saul had not obeyed the commandment of the Lord. He had not exercised the judgment of God. And because of that, he was facing judgment himself and he had acted like he had done what he was supposed to do. He came out to meet the prophet Samuel and he said, blessed are you. He said, I've performed the commandment of the Lord. He came out talking all religious and stuff. And Samuel said, if you've done that, then what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep? He said, you were supposed to slaughter all those animals. He said, you didn't do it. He said, so why are you come tell me you've obeyed the Lord when obviously you've not? And there's a confrontation that happens there and uh, look in verse 22. And Samuel said, he's speaking to the king who's going to be removed from his throne over his disobedience. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings? Because one of the excuses that King Saul said was, he goes, well, I kept those alive so I can offer them to the Lord. God, God doesn't ask us to figure out what we want to make up that make Him happy. He wants us to obey what His Word says. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken, which is listening with the intent to obey, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And God's always been against that thoroughly and is completely, even though our culture is so immersed in it and we're in the time of year when people glorify it. But all witchcraft, any type, I don't care if it's supposed to be white witchcraft or Wicca, or I don't care what it is, pagans, druids, you name it, whatever's going on in our happy little town here, and there's a lot of it, whatever it is, it is, it is against God, 100%. And it can never be justified. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And by the way, you will see people over and over again trying to wear the word stubborn as a, as a, as a badge. Here's what they say. Well, I'm just stubborn. Really? Wow, that's really wild when somebody claims to be a Christian. Do you believe the Bible's the Word of God? 
Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Well, I'm just stubborn. That's not a good word. Now, if you, if you want, as a Christian, if you want to be something, uh, learn to be purposeful. Uh, learn, learn, to be, learn to be steadfast. In other words, find out what truth is and stand on it and don't move. Hey, during the nonsense time and all the stuff we went through, and I say nonsense because just so much crazy happened. When I, when, I was, uh, when I went and shut the church down and I said, if you make it here, we're going to have services, I wasn't being stubborn saying to people, we're not going to do what you just did. I was being purposeful because I believe the Bible teaches what we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So I'm going to make sure the door's open so anybody wants to get in here, could get in. There's a difference. If it had been, well, you're not going to tell me, that's a prideful wrong attitude. If it's, I'm convinced of the Word of God, this is what I should do as the pastor of this church, and here's why, then that is just standing. And then, if you take a stand, sometimes people slam into you. That's the way it goes. You can't help that. And um, sometimes you just kind of, you know, squint your eyes and grit your teeth, and that's the way it happens. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Look at this. Because thou hast rejected the Word of the Lord, He hath also rejected thee from being king. Now look what's going on. Saul is just told, you're not going to be king anymore. And God views what you did and tells you that what you just did is as wicked as witchcraft is. And he said, I, I'm telling you, judgment's coming on you. And look at the response. I'm talking about back here when old Jacob, he was worried about his image, not what he was. Look at the response of this. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. He said he's getting right. No, he's not. He's just like any person in any church who's made 50 trips to the altar and, and stood up from the altar just the same as when they went down 50 times. I could start giving you names. I really could. If I ever lose my mind, come, it'll be entertaining. Because if I ever made public everything I know, it wouldn't be pretty. Tell me, I hope I lose my mind. Cool. My sound people, if you ever see me starting to do that, please shut down all the... <laughs> no way, you're going, to, <laughs> you're going to push it further on YouTube. Great, that's great. Uh, worldwide, here, he makes a worldwide idiot out of himself. Right. They, uh, but look what he says. He's not getting right. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people. First clue, he's not getting right. He's making an excuse for why he did wrong. Hey! I'll tell you what, I know I did wrong, but my daddy, you're not getting right. Hey, I know I did wrong, but my wife, you're not getting right. Hey, I know I did wrong, but my husband, you're not getting right. You're not getting right. When you are the victim and acting like a stinking victim, you're not getting right. You're responsible for your decisions. You're responsible for what you did. He said, well, somebody did do me wrong, no doubt. And some people in here are carrying some very severe hurts. I know that. And what I'm trying to do is keep you from destroying yourself because of those hurts. May God help you and realize that you have to take responsibility. He said, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice, he's the king. He's not to be obeying their voice. Look in verse 25. Look what he says. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin. He said, wait, it's getting right. Watch. And turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. You said, well, he wants to worship the Lord. Really? And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned away to go, turned to, about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle. You said, what's that talking about? He had a covering over him that the prophet would wear, and he grabbed the edge of that, the bottom of that. The skirting is the bottom of something. And he grabbed the hold of that, and when he grabbed it, it tore. He grabs him when he's trying to leave, and, and, and this happens with this. And, 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 and it tears. That's what it means by rent. It's torn there. Verse 28, And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day. Just like um, Saul had violently grabbed uh, Samuel's uh, garment there and it had torn. He said, God's going to do that with your kingdom here. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine, that be David, that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Look at this. Man, what a, what a chastisement. Right to his face. Look at his response. 
Then he, King Saul, said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people. After that kind of confrontation, that fellow came to the church for a while. We're going to pay attention up here. They, and it was amazing. He had lied to several of our people, lied to me about a couple things. I caught him on and I just called out his lie. His face, I said, you said thus and thus and you lied about it. And all I did, he goes, uh-huh. I said, you are a bald-faced liar. I said, if you tell me the sky's blue, I will go check to see if it's blue. Uh-huh. I started quoting scripture. All I ever got out of it was, uh-huh. And then basically then, are we going to lunch now? I figured my ministrations were falling on deaf ears. <laughs> you you're making that up, preacher. No, I'm not. I don't know where you live. I live in the land of weird about half the time. I'm telling you, somebody can't even be ashamed doing the filthiest or perverted things, living contrary to the Word of God, and no shame about it, all brazen about it. You know what that is? That's, that's a fact that someone's got a stiff neck, and if they don't get right, they're going to go to hell is what's going on there. And here Saul, King Saul, is sitting there and he says, okay, I mean the Samuel just nails him and says, your kingdom's gone, you've disobeyed the Word of God, and he goes, okay, Okay, but will you honor me now in front of everybody? Can we keep up appearances here? Can we keep acting like everything's okay? Or how many people just keep acting like everything's okay? You just keep up appearances and never get right. With the God, the belief meant something to you. That Christianity meant something to you. By the way, Christianity might mean something to the lost world out here who needs to know about the Savior. If it actually meant something to the church, where our churches have gotten so corrupt and perverted and have embraced so much of the junk that's going on and we no longer have the salt impact that we should have in this world. Why? Because it's just such a perverse thing. Let me give you another one with this. What happens? Um, look in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23. The rest of the few things I want to show you are in the New Testament this morning. Matthew 23. If you have a Bible and can turn there. Now this is direct teaching that Jesus taught about this thing, about trying to keep up appearances without getting things right inside. And see, someone will come out of a service like this saying, you judge me. I didn't judge you nothing. I warned you. If you feel condemned, something else is judging you. I warned you. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. There's another that will judge, and it's not me. I'm not in a position to judge. I need the Savior like anybody else. Made out flesh and blood like anybody else. Got my own struggles like anybody else. But there is a judge, and there's a day coming, and there's a way we can be right. And I want you to know about it. And I want you to, I want you to know the Savior that can help you. Matthew 23, and look in verse 25. It begins with the word woe, and that's a, a strong pronouncement of judgment. So Jesus speaking here. And He's dealing with scribes and Pharisees, very religious people. Pharisees were super strict religious. The scribes were people who spent their whole life copying the Word of God. Everything was written, of course. You didn't have a printing press or anything, obviously, back in that time. But look what He says about them. Verse 25, He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, a hypocrite comes from a word that means a mask wearer. It's the old theater they used to have different masks, and they the same uh, the same uh, actor would play different parts. They'd put a mask in front of them for one thing, and another mask for another thing, and that's the concept of a hypocrite, someone who's a mask wearer, right? So he has with this, he said, "I put a mask on." Does it make no, no, get the idea of what it's teaching? It's someone who's a, acting like something they actually aren't. Look what happens with it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean, he uses illustration here about you know, something you would, you would drink out of. You make clean the outside of the cup. Imagine having a cup, the outside of it's real pretty and clean. And of the platter, and you've seen them before, like a little saucer and a platter there, and you've got the cup and you've got that. You make clean the outside of the cup and the platter. Anybody going by looks and says, that looks nice. All cleaned up. Everything looks good there. All right? But within, they are full of extortion and excess. That's the idea of having a really pretty cup or something like that. It'd be like my glass of water here. If I were to have it, and, and of course this is clear so you can see through it, but if it wasn't clear and you saw it, it was a clean looking cup, and then I turned it up and it was full of looking like swamp water in there and muck inside and everything like that. 
I actually illustrated that before when we were at our chapel. I had, you know, nice looking cups. I had three of them in there. I had one, but the outside was real clean. The inside was all muddy and gunky. Actually, I went out in the parking lot and got some gunk put in there. And uh, it's, it's, we cleaned it before we put it back in the, in the, in the cabinet. <laughs> and then I had another one where the outside was all gunked up, but the inside was clean. And that's how some Christians do. They're actually the same people, but you can't tell the difference because they don't resemble the Lord the way they conduct themselves. And then I had one that was clean outside and inside. I don't know about, don't know about y'all, but if I'm going to get something to drink this morning, if I grabbed a cup at our house and somehow we'd missed it in Washington, I look down in there and there's like creepy crawlies in that thing, I don't want to drink all that. And God, what He's saying here is say, it's good, your outside should be decent and clean, but there needs to be something inside that's decent and clean. That's the issue with it going on. And so He's talking about here. Let's see what He says about it. And He says, uh, verse 25 again, the outside of the cup of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee. And these people were not physically blind, they were spiritually blind. Cleanse, what's the next word? First. first. Not only. First. Not only. Not only. Modernistic church generation, not only, but first. It's order, not exclusive. He said, cleanse first that which is within the cup. Get right inside and platter that the outside of them may be clean. What's that word? Also. So the inside's supposed to be clean and the outside's supposed to be clean because if the inside and the outside don't match, it's called hypocrisy. He said it should both be. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchers. A sepulcher is a grave, made it real pretty and all that, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And even so, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them that killed the prophets. And so he goes through and he says, look, there's a problem. Jesus said, you are very strict and many of the things they did were right things. He said, but every bit of it's tainted and there's a smell to it. Why? Because inside you're not clean. And it's amazing. And sometimes people react to that type of a situation by throwing away what is right about the outside. No, that's not God's way. God's way is let it all be right. God is holy, H-O-L-Y, and God wants us to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, complete. He wants us to be wholly clean. He wants all parts of your life to be together and right. And so, so much taught about that. Let me give you another one real quick. Oh, this one's wild. Look in Acts chapter 5. It's funny. I'll try to build a bunch of doctrine off of this and get yourself tangled. This is not a promise that God's going to do this again. We don't ever have a record of Him doing it again. It does teach us to beware of what we do. Acts chapter 5. Actually, look back in chapter 4 right at the end. You have somebody introduced here who shows up in the Bible. Well known in the Bible after this. And Joseph, or Hoses, I don't know how they say it then, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. Isn't that something? So it's Barnabas, first time he showed up. Which is being interpreted the son of consolation. You remember him, don't you? He's the one who, who uh, actually spoke up for, for Paul when he got saved and helped him get into the churches. A Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What that was about... They were distributing, they were starting churches all over. They were trying to help people all over. And Barnabas had land, I don't know how much, don't know what the deal was with it, doesn't tell us all those details. But he sold land, he brought the money from that land he sold, and he brought it so that the apostles could take it and then use it for the churches and use it for things going on with that. And uh, are you in need of this lady? No, I'm just come. Okay, come on in. Good. Trained. That was the boy. All right, good. There you go. Sorry, I'm also a pappy. So the uh, um, okay, 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 okay. It's Bell's palsy. Is it? So it, it'll take um, weeks, a couple months to get better. But okay. Did they think it's from where he rang his bell? 
Uh, that were continued infection paralyzed the nerve. Okay. Right. Sorry about that, but this is going on. Hey, I've done a good job of preaching to you. know, my grandson's in the thing, so we're going to take a little time out there and find that. All right, good. So, see you here with you? Yeah, he's in there. She's scared me to death. They said Bell's palsy, like, with no explanation. I'm about to throw up, and she's like, it's not permanent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Bell's palsy about to throw up. Well, yeah, no, it's not permanent, though. No. But you, like, when you say palsy, you think permanency, but she's like, yeah. she's like she saw all over my face. You had Bell's palsy at that point. All right, there we go. There's an update with that. And uh, so these folks, when, when Barnabas sold the land, he had the piece of land, he sells it. And whatever he got for it, he took the entirety of that amount and, and put it into the Lord's work to do something. Now, I want you to understand something. This will be reinforced with the scripture we're going to read. He wasn't required to do that. The tithe belongs to the Lord. The first 10% of all our increase belongs to the Lord. But he was not required to take all the money from that land sale and put it in the Lord's work. The apostles were not out there telling people they need to do it. You're going to see that in a moment. In fact, they point out the fact they were not. he was not under obligation to do this. And so what happens though, apparently, Barnabas didn't do it for show. Barnabas didn't do it to, to, to make a name for himself. We read more about him in the Bible. That wasn't his nature. He was a very helpful guy and he wasn't somebody trying to, you know, make himself to be something. But it apparently caught people's attention. Somebody knew about it and they're like, hey, isn't that neat? You know, It'd be like somebody donating something, uh, you know, a, a building for a church or something like that. And people would know about that even if that person wasn't seeking attention. And so they heard about it. Well, there was a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira kind of liked the idea of, hey, man, that's, that's pretty neat, you know. Boy, that really makes you seem spiritual. So look what they do. But a certain man, verse 5, named Ananias with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. So what they sold it for, they kept part for themselves. His wife also being privy to it. So they agreed to do this. They sold it, let's say they sold it for $10,000. I don't know what they sold it for. So they said sold it for $10,000. They kept 4000 of it. But look what they do. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what happens is, they come where people can see them, they come, make a show out of it, and they bring the $6,000 in saying, hey, we sold this piece of land. Hey, we sold whatever it was. And here's all the money for it. It's that kind of an idea. And they hadn't given all of it, but they wanted to act like it. We used to have a fellow in our church, he would do things to help out sometimes. And he'd come by me and he'd, he'd do the odd way of doing it. He'd say, just wanted to let you know I gave this much for that. I said, okay. That's all I'd ever say. Okay. And then I'd hear him. Person to person to person. Some of you know who it is because he did it and you'd recognize the action. He'd come to, I, I'd even go to the next person. Hey, I didn't want people to know, but I gave this much for that. Hey, not trying to make a big deal of it, but I gave this much for that. Before long, he let everybody know that he didn't want anybody to know what he had been doing just for, you know, just, just for God's glory there. And, but he'd go tell everybody. And uh, what, what a mess, man. So he comes, verse 3, and Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Look at what he says. While it remained, was it not thine own? He said, it was your land. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? He said, you were under no obligation to have to do this. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? He and his wife agreed together to try to appear spiritual by doing this. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Just as an aside, there you have the Holy Ghost and God positively identified as the same. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. Let me tell you what that means. He died. He hit the ground. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. I guess so. And the young men arose, wound him up, that's the way they did bury and carried him out and buried him. These people didn't stop church for anything. They really didn't. They didn't, honest to goodness. <clears throat> They wound him up. They took him out. They buried him. Now hold on. Watch what happens. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, this was way before Facebook. Oh, praise God. That'd be awesome. Um, not knowing what was done, came in 
And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yeah, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, upon as many as heard these things. This was not something the apostles struck with. This is what God did. You have no repetition of this anywhere in the Bible. But these folks wanted to make such a big show out of things and it cost them their life. God said, no, you're not going to do that. Serious business. Serious business. And so what happened was uh, they cared about image. Why wouldn't everybody think I'm great? Why wouldn't everybody think I'm spiritual? Why wouldn't everybody think I'm this? But you're living a dual life. You're doing something different. And when we're not right inside, we're not right. What was the ungodly concern that Jacob had? I shall seem to my father as a deceiver. He did not care if he was deceiving Isaac. He didn't want to seem like a deceiver. Look in John chapter 12. I'm just going to read a couple verses to you, but I want you to see this. John chapter 12 specifically talks about this situation. John chapter 12 makes a statement and look. Let me make sure in verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also... Those are the rulers of the Jews. Many believed on Him, believed on Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They got kicked out of their synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. May God help us not to do that. May God help us not to do that. So what's the contrast and what's the cure for this ungodliness if we see it in ourselves? What is the contrast and what's the cure? God's allowed you today to see that this is something in your life needs dealt with because look, I'm supposed to preach this message this morning here. That means there are a person or people in this room who need to hear this, this message this morning. And so if God's shown you something or drawn your attention to something along the way, what is the contrast to the situation and what is the cure to it? It's in Psalm 51. Look in Psalm 51. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 51. Contrast of another king at another time. We read about Saul and how upon being confronted so strongly with Samuel, his final response was, honor me before the people. And David also was confronted by a prophet. And once that confrontation happened, we find out that it had been destroying him, the guilt of thing had been destroying him the whole time. But he had to face it at that point, and he did. And then look at Psalm 51 as David actually gets right with God. Let's see what that actually looks like. And let's learn from the Bible about it. Here's, here's the wording. Here's, what, here's the heart that's actually getting right. Said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. He uh, he threw himself on the mercy of God. He didn't come talking about his spirituality, what he intended to do, how he was going to be religious with stuff. He just threw himself on the mercy of God. And he said, That's my only chance. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I, I hope you understand. He said, I want all of it gone. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Plural. He took full ownership of what he had done. I acknowledge my transgressions. Um, I've often said that acknowledging truth is harder than admitting error. Let me show you the difference what it looks like. Someone lies about something. We know lying is sin. Someone lies about something. 
And they say, I'm going to get right with God. And they choose to use God's word. They don't say, you know, I made a mistake or something bogus like that. They say, God, I lied. Well, that's good. That's, that's a step. That's heading in the right direction. God, I lied. But that's not what this is talking about. I acknowledge my sins. This is deeper. Here's what that looks like. God, I lied. And I lied because I'm a liar. That lie came from inside me. God, there's something broken inside me that needs you. There's something dirty inside me that needs cleansed. That's acknowledging the transgressions. Look at it. Verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions, plural, my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And while David had heard a number of people, he understood the root of it was against God. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Part of getting right was he said, God, whatever you decide to do with me, I deserve it, and I'm not going to fuss about it. Well, God, I know I did wrong, but you need to. You're not getting right. God, whatever you do, you're God. Now this, verse 5, is not an excuse. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It, a lot of people distort that because they don't know the Word of God or how it all fits together. The idea there is not saying it's a sinful thing for his mom to have had him. He's not blaming his mom for what he did. What he is acknowledging, and it fits the entire rest of the song, he's acknowledging that his basic nature is a nature that is bent towards sin. It's not saying, God, I couldn't help it, so you can't do anything about it. I was born this way. No. What it said is, God, I know I have a need that I can't cleanse because I'm corrupt. How fundamental is this to belief? I'm corrupt, therefore I need the living God. He said, verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Verse 7 is so beautiful. Look at it. Purge me with hyssop. You see that word hyssop there? That's a, uh, that's a little brushy plant. has an, a little bit of a smell to it. shows up two other times in the Bible. Well, more than two other times, but two particular instances. Hyssop is what they took, and they put the blood of the lamb on, on the Passover, and they put the blood above the door, across, and down on the door, across the top, and down the side of the door. See how that forms? Cross and down. They put the blood back in Egypt, then down the door. And when death came, when God came, then He passed over them. And they, their firstborn wasn't killed. The hyssop was there with the blood, like this. On the cross of Calvary, they took hyssop and dipped it and put the vinegar and such up to the mouth of Jesus Christ. So that hyssop keeps showing up with this thing uh, of redemption. Well, 1,200 years before this. For, for the uh, crucifixion or so, he said there, uh, he said uh, in, in verse, uh, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. He said, God, I wish you didn't have to look at this. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence. Take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation and uphold me with Thy free spirit. Look what he says. Then I will teach transgressors Thy ways. Well, he can then because he knows the forgiveness of God. And sinners shall be converted unto Thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, Thou God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, not his own. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The pride and haughtiness of man, our pride, our haughtiness being broken. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good, thy good pleasure, and desire, and build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Thou sh then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thy altar. He said, then we could offer sacrifices once we're actually right. He says, then I can sacrifice. Then I can serve. Then I can actually do something for the Lord when I actually get right inside. 
There's a big difference between I've sinned, honor me now before the elders of my people, and against thee and thee only have I sinned. God, you're right when you're judged. Whatever you want to do. What I want you to do, God, just don't leave me. God, whatever you do, take away the kingdom, whatever. God, don't leave me alone. I need you. The ungodly concern of Jacob, who, by the way, later would be changed in his life. But at that point in his life, that ungodly concern was this. I'll seem like a deceiver. I'll get a curse. And did not care that he was a deceiver. And he was worthy of cursing. Let me pray with you, please. Father, thank You for the people. They're careful listening. Thank You for it. God, I pray You'll show people this morning what their need is through Your Word. God, this is strong and it's right. Have you this morning allowed me to speak to some that you care for, but they don't know you yet? Lord, I pray you'll bring them under that conviction you brought me under. Lord, that they would know their need of you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless that they may trust you today. Father, I pray that your people will take seriously being right with you. No matter what anybody else thinks, that they'll just want to be right with you. And may they know the peace and the calm assurance that comes from that. I bless this invitation for your own purposes. Move among your people, please. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. The invitation is given, at this church anyway, as a time when people can respond to the Word of God. Talk to the Lord about something He brought to your attention. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we have a good number of people in this room who can open a Bible, show you how you can know based on the Word of God that Christ is your Savior and one day you can be with Him. We have a song invitation as it begins. Would you come this morning if you want to come pray this altar, this front area? And uh, why don't you come? Talk to the Lord about what you need to. If you have a concern you need to pray about, maybe just get someone's attention that's near you. more concerned with our substance, what we actually are, or our image, what we are perceived to be.